0: Hello, everybody, all you friendly people out there. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. Got an ACS scientist on the podcast today. Dr. Corinne Leach joined the pod. She spoke with our host, Dr. Susanna Greer, about her new publication. So Corinne heads up survivorship research here at ACS, cancer survivorship research. She's the senior principal scientist of behavioral research on our population sciences group. Her new paper's on the rise of mental health distress during the COVID-19 pandemic. Kind of a cool aspect of this is that she and her collaborators used data from our CPS3 study, our Cancer Prevention Studies 3 study. That's this cohort of about 300,000 participants who we surveyed and we're going to follow them for 40 years. I'm going to learn so much about what causes cancer from this study, but for this paper that Dr. Leach published, I think some of the, I don't want to spoil it, you're going to hear from her and Dr. Greer in a moment, but the main focus that you'll hear about today is she'll talk about some of the some of the factors that they identified that were associated with increased depression and anxiety during the pandemic. She's going to talk about some long-term implications and post-treatment programs for cancer survivors, helpful ways to deal with kind of significant life stressors. So let's just jump right into the conversation. This is Dr. Susanna Greer and Dr. Corinne Leach.
1: Good afternoon, Corinne. How are you? I'm doing well here. How are you doing, Susanna? I am well and excited to have the opportunity to talk to you because we are going to learn about taking better care of each other during mental health challenges. So it's unbelievable that so many months in we're still talking about the pandemic and we are we're going to talk about the pandemic we're going to talk about the effects of the pandemic on our mental health and kind of more broadly about how the lessons we are learning are helping us to take better care of each other as we survive these and other mental health challenges, including those presented by cancer. So you know, one thing I think is interesting is that the pandemic is certainly affecting everyone, but you know, just like cancer. The the pandemic has impacted all of us differently, so. I guess the, the first thing that I think you could help us to understand is that. Just kind of based on what has been published to date both what you've published and your colleagues and others in the field maybe help us understand um what types of pandemic related stressors have been associated with um, perhaps greater levels of anxiety and depression
2: sure so i would say they're typical life stressors that may be exacerbated even more due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So some of the stressors that we've been looking at and others in the literature have been looking at are financial stressors, such as being worried about not being able to pay for medical costs. And this could be for a serious illness or an accident or even routine health care. So, many of those stressors have been increased during the pandemic, and then worries about not being able to afford basic household expenses such as rent, mortgage, utilities. Um, Another area of stressors that has definitely been impacted by the pandemic are work-life balance stressors, and this one for sure rings true to me, Um, and I don't know about you and your family, but this this has to do with difficulties in managing work-life balance. increased work um kind of the intensity of work and the work demands especially at you know for companies that went through layoffs um you know really had work kind of piled on to our already full plates but at the same time um you know challenges with working from home while caring for young children at home because of daycare closures or or switching to a remote virtual learning instead of in-person school for those with young children at home um, and then the bottling, I talked to my friends, and the battling of just the uncertainties of when schools will close again, like, okay, they're, they're open for now, and so we're able to go back to the office, or so they're able to work from home their full day, but then all of a sudden daycares will close for 10 to 14 days because of a potential COVID exposure. So those types of things, and then also decreased time for leisure activities, the things that we really enjoy doing that provide that work-life balance. Um, So these were different variables that we looked at in our study. And so those who it was a dose response relationship. So those with more financial stressors, those with more work-life balance stressors had a higher likelihood during um, about six months into the pandemic of reporting having elevated levels of depression and anxiety.
1: Okay, so all of that makes sense to me that. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all pandemic-related, but they're also just kind of normal things that maybe just kind of got squeezed into this box that kind of made them worse in a way. I mean, the the, the things that you, you shared were life stressors, and you, you, you listed four, but like paying for medical costs, which certainly maybe we had more, right, because of pandemic-related expenses, so whether or not we were maybe paying for a rapid COVID test or someone in our family had COVID, and so we were paying for um, all of the the extra medical costs associated with that, Um, or, you know, certainly household expenses have increased. (laughs) You know, we've all seen our grocery bills just really skyrocketing. Gas is so expensive Mm -hmm. right now, and then you know, I absolutely am not knocking the work-life balance out of the park. I don't know that anybody <laughs> is. I mean, and and I'm really blessed to have a great job, um, but it's it's definitely more intense. And no matter what your situation is, I think we all are. The lines are being blurred between work and leisure and family um, and then leisure seems to maybe just have kind of gone away for a lot of us And so I think that what you described as a dose response is a little interesting but I'd like for you to help me understand that a little more because you you recently led an ACS story, not story. Well maybe I want you to talk to me about it as a story <laughs> but you led an ACS study that asked participants, how our mental and physical health before the pandemic factored into our ability to deal with all of these stresses of the pandemic. So Mm -hmm. what you just told us is that nothing really changed about the stresses. They're all the same. They may be exacerbated, but I'd love to know was there something about this data that surprised you? So I would say that
2: the, the direction of, of the relationships and the associations weren't surprising. What did surprise us was the strength of the association. So it was that dose-response relationship with the more financial stressors you had, employment stressors, work-life balance stressors, the more likely you were to have elevated levels and higher levels of anxiety and depression and overall psychological distress six months into the pandemic than you did in 2018 when we had a survey. And so, for example, um, women who reported having financial stressors during the pandemic had um, three times the likelihood of having psychological distress at a higher level during the pandemic than in 2018 than those who had no reported no financial stressors. And for men, it was six times higher likelihood. And so there was an interesting gender difference there, Um, especially for financial stressors. I was expecting more of that for work-life balance and seeing how caregiving roles and responsibilities would play a factor. Um, But really, it was the financial stressors, people really worrying about their ability to pay, um, especially if there were any changes or potential changes to come in employment. i mentioned before this data was collected six about six months into the covid19 pandemic so there was a lot of uncertainty during that time for a lot of people in the workplace there may have been one round of layoffs already but then they were looking at maybe another one coming which we experienced ourselves so um so i would say the financial stressor variables that we used were not only actual ability to pay, it had more to do about worries about their ability to pay for the things that they needed to pay for, given the uncertainty with a lot of things in the world. Um, you know, Now we have inflation. And so I imagine that a follow-up study like this would be really important to look at kind of longer term impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on, on life stressors and on mental health.
1: You know, it's really interesting because it, it sounds like one i don't know if it's a concern or one observation you have is that some of the mental health issues that you're seeing could be long term because there are worries around uncertainties which are a part of life but have become during the pandemic almost endemic would Mm -hmm. you say that's a fair assessment
2: so i think it's going to be really important to track some of these uncertainties and some of the kind of long-term mental health implications that these uncertainties are leading to um, as we've already talked about the the inflation right now um, there's there's a lot of new uncertainties happening and it's going to con- constantly be evolving and it's something that Healthcare professionals will need to track over time in terms of mental health of their patients. And now this provides the opportunity to develop more rapid assessment tools to normalize tracking mental health and asking about mental health, both in clinical situations, but also of ourselves and our our friends and our family members. I think there's been a big change there in the culture of mental health and in the understanding that. You know, just because we look like we're doing well does not mean that internally we're feeling well all the time. And so I think it's really opened up a lot of people's eyes and culturally opened up kind of a normalcy of of talking about mental health
1: issues. Yeah. So Corinne, one one area where we think a lot about mental health and mental health assessment is cancer survivors. And honestly, I think mental health during cancer survivorship is an area where we have a lot to learn. Now, we're becoming better at helping people survive cancer. Will you share a snapshot of what cancer survivorship looks like in the United States?
2: Happy to. Um, Currently, there's an estimated about 16.9 million cancer survivors in the United States today and this population is expected to grow to over 26 million by 2040 and a lot of this is thanks to new treatments and although the new treatments such as immunotherapies have extended survival many therapies and combinations of therapies are not without physical psychological and financial side effects and these may happen during treatment or may present months to even years later. And these side effects can limit functioning and the ability to fully participate in life. And so there's a need for these potential issues to be managed during treatment and beyond active treatment. So I think there's in a snapshot, there's also a lot of learning that's currently going on from what happened during the pandemic where a lot of appointments got shifted to telehealth. And so I think there was a lot of you know, learning who was left behind, who who telehealth was not necessarily appropriate for, or who needed additional support and training to increase their digital health literacy so that their needs were met. So I think that, um, There's a lot of digital support tools that are in development that will be incredibly helpful to support survivors during and after treatment from wherever and whenever they need that support. And that needs to continue to be tested and and supportive. Um, But not all survivors may benefit from that type of support. So, I think there's just a lot that we're learning right now because of this gigantic experiment called the pandemic that led
1: to significant changes in the healthcare system very rapidly. So, Corinne, tell me then, what types of similarities do you see between cancer survivors and the individuals who participated in your study around the pandemic? Um, whose stressors were associated with anxiety and depression?
2: I think there are two big buckets of similarities that our participants and cancer survivors would have. So the first is balancing multiple responsibilities. For cancer survivors, they're balancing work, family, but then also additional medical treatments, medical appointments that they're going through, and the side effects. They may be experiencing fatigue and depression. So It's just a lot of balancing and juggling um and then the second is stress over future uncertainty so many of us during the pandemic have faced job uncertainty have faced so much uncertainty uncertainty about travel i know for ourselves we had to postpone our wedding three times (laughs) like we all had lots of uncertainty and for people going through cancer, and even those in remission, there is a level of uncertainty of the future. And um, you know, how long will I remain in remission, remission? And and will this treatment really work to cure my cancer? So I, I would say that the balancing of responsibilities and the stress over future uncertainty is would definitely be overlapping.
1: So, Corinne, one thing that I think has stood out to me from our conversation is that just like during the pandemic we have lots of different resources that can help us either friends or family or medical institutions cancer survivors also have different resources at hand so that's true mental health as well, that there are a variety of post treatment programs, but I'm I'm getting the sense from you. That some. May fall short for some survivors, so maybe talk to me a little bit about that space. I, I guess it's a two part question. I'd like to know about resources and. What resources the American Cancer Society provides in the mental health space for cancer survivors? So
2: you're you're absolutely correct that post-treatment programs vary widely and they have varying levels of access. So oftentimes it depends on where you're being seen for treatment and where you go for your post-treatment care, what type of health insurance coverage you have, where you live in the country, and if you're able to travel to post-treatment appointments to a larger, um, a larger cancer center that more likely has a survivorship clinic that has comprehensive post-treatment survivorship care and is well-connected to the oncologists that you saw throughout your treatment and and very well trained in the types of treatments you went through and the types of side effects you may experience in the short and long term. I would say there's a lot of limitations that need to, um, that the healthcare system is looking into right now in order to improve. So in terms of primary care training in survivorship issues including mental health support, um, reimbursement for survivorship care, which could include mental health assessment each time there's follow-up care and then rapid referral to appropriate mental health services for patients. Um, I think one issue that oftentimes is faced is a fragmented medical care system where someone may be going to a primary care provider and that person that healthcare professional may think that their oncologist is handling a certain aspect of their follow up care, but then the oncologist is thinking that the primary care provider might be handling certain aspects of follow-up care. So there seems to be a little bit of a mix match right now in the healthcare system that there are a lot of brilliant people working on solving and resolving. So I'm very hopeful for the future. And some places in the country are doing it much better than others. And I would say in some of the community the community cancer centers, um, there's a starting to be a bigger emphasis there to bring additional educational support and tools in order to provide a better holistic health experience to patients with a history of
1: cancer. Thanks, Karen. And And the other part of my question was, are there resources, and we can put them in the show notes on cancer.org that we could direct survivors to.
2: Yes, I would say on cancer.org, we do have some information, including the distress thermometer, and we have some information on anxiety and depression and fear of recurrence that can be common symptoms that many survivors experience during and after their treatment ends. And so I would recommend going there, but I also would recommend talking to a healthcare professional if, if there are any worries that you have it's important to be assessed and find the support that you need and you deserve and um, oftentimes patient navigation there's been a decrease in funding in patient navigation unfortunately nationwide but there are also patient navigators who can be really helpful in helping navigate people to the resources that they need who would be incredibly well versed in what is available in your
1: area. You know, Corinne, I feel like we've learned so much from the pandemic, and we continue to learn from our wonderful cancer survivors. the The thing that really stands out for me from my conversation with you is that these have both been life altering events for those of us who have experienced cancer, and for all of us that are experiencing the pandemic. You've already shared with us some really wonderful thoughts on how we can continue to move forward and put one foot in front of the other. Are there any last words of wisdom that you would like to share with us just in general as we deal with significant life stressors?
2: Hmm.
1: I think that self-awareness is huge and listening
2: to our own mind and bodies are so important um asking for help or finding ways to support our own mental health and prioritizing our own mental health be it through physical activity be it through seeking a counselor through meditation um going for a long walk with your dog just really finding things that bring you joy is is so critical and um i think the pandemic has hit so many of us in many different ways. And I, I would, I feel like so many of us, and I would say the majority of Americans at some point during the pandemic felt had some low periods. And so you're not alone if you felt that way. And, and there are ways to um, work through and finding coping mechanisms to help support you to better manage Um, any anxiety or depression or for cancer survivors, any fear of cancer recurrence that you may have. Um, And it's been incredibly inspiring to see mental health discussed uh, at a national and international platform level and the amount of support there through workplaces, through different apps available now, anytime, any place that you need it. Um, And I think that that field is only going to continue to grow and be even better supported um, in workplaces, but then um, personally. So yes, I, I would say that uh, the future of mental health is is growing, and mental health support is growing.
1: Yeah, I agree. The silver linings of the pandemic have been interesting. So, mental health awareness and support, and just a general appreciation that it's okay not to be okay and that most of us at some point every day are not. <laughs> and um, I, I just want to thank you for your significant area in this space and wish you all the best for you and your mental health, Corinne. Thanks so much for sharing with us today.